Our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 11, first nine verses, Pew Bible, page 15. Before we read, will you pray to me? Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word. Maybe, Lord, love your son more, be conformed to his image. Have our minds renewed to be the mind of Christ. May we see your grace, your love, your mercy. And this word you have given to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Many of you, I'm sure, know of the story the historical event, the unsinkable ship sinks. The Titanic, right? Well, there has um, been a lot of looking into whether it was truly marketed, the Titanic, as an unsinkable ship, or simply the irony of its sinking caused the idea of it unsinkableness to become prominent. While it's hard to say whether people thought the ship was absolutely unsinkable under any circumstances, it is clear that people believe that the passenger liner's safety design was state-of-the-art and some did describe it as unsinkable before it ever set sail. Reportedly, that claim was enough to keep many passengers calm even as the ship was in fact sinking. And a vice president of the company who put the Titanic together told the U.S. Congress that he initially did not believe the reports that the ship was sinking because he thought it to be unsinkable himself. It was almost as if to, uh, to come face to face with the pride of man and what they build, something that's indestructible, unsinkable come in contact with 
God's very own creation and in an iceberg. I think it brings you down a little bit to have an unsinkable ship that sinks. It's a humbling moment. And much like that story of the Titanic and the unsinkable ship sinking, we have a similar story today in our scripture passage. The Tower of Babel is a declaration of the pride of men. And what happens in response, God's response is is a humbling moment. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this tower that goes all the way up to the heavens. And God says, "Eh." I'm going to stop right there. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, why? I think one important thing that has been shown to us in this passage is that God's will shall be accomplished despite mankind's prideful rebellion. And this is important because the most important moment in history is an expression of the prideful rebellion of mankind is the incriminating crucifying of Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's God's will that through Jesus Christ, humanity and his creation would be saved. And it's accomplished, not even despite mankind's prideful rebellion, but in part because of it. And that is the great sovereignty of our God. We have three points this morning. The first is reach to the heavens. Verses 1 through 4, we hear about the heart of man in this passage. The second is the Lord came down. This is God's response. And the third is the result. The Lord scattered them. Verses 8 through 9. So let's begin with verses 1 through 4. The first thing that we have to take note is that Genesis 10 and and Genesis 11, they're not chronological. Genesis 10 describes the way that the people groups, the sons of Noah, split up into different groups and and, uh, departed into different areas of the world. There's a couple of notes in Genesis chapter 10 that point us to this clue. Um, The first is verse 5. The maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans, within their nations, each with its own language. The second is that we're told about Nimrod, that his kingdom, the centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and Shinar, which is where the tower and the city of Babel were created. And the third is that we're told about this Peleg, And he was named Peleg, which means divided, because in in his time, the earth was divided. And then lastly, we are told, these are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages and their territories and their nations. And the first thing that we're told in Genesis chapter 11 is that now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Yet in Genesis 10, we are told that these people groups split up by their 
languages. And we're even told about a man who lived when the world was divided. And so, if you piece all those things together, what you discover is that Genesis 10 is describing what happened after, leading up to and after the Tower of Babel. And most people understand Nimrod to be the organizer, the one who is holding all these people together and and, and bringing that prideful arrogance to this claim that they're going to build this great city and they're going to stay together and they're going to build this tower that goes up to the heavens. And it's in the lifetime of Peleg that then God comes down and scatters them. And this is not surprising to find because following this first part of Genesis chapter 11, we have a continuation of that genealogy that goes from Shem all the way to Abram. So we're told, everyone had one language, one common speech, and as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And this is what they said to each other at this plain in Shinar. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This is an expression of pride and rebellion for mankind. There's four things that we're told. They aim to build a city. They aim to build a tower. They aim to make a name for themselves And they aim not to be dispersed. And these two things, these four things correspond with each other. They aim to build a city in order that they may not be dispersed. And they aim to build a tower that reaches all the way up to the heavens so that they may make a name for themselves. John Piper commenting on this particular passage says these four things expose two sins. The two sins are the love of praise, craving to make a name for oneself, and the love of security, to build a city and not take the risk of filling the earth. Because you remember that God's initial decree to mankind was to be fruitful and multiply and to cover the earth. And here we have mankind saying the exact opposite. They're saying, we would like to huddle here. And stay here and build a city with walls and a tower right here. Piper continues, God's will for human beings is not that we find our joy in being praised, but that we find our joy in knowing and praising Him. His will is not that we find our security in the cities, but in God whom we gladly obey. So the spectacular sin of man is that even after the flood, which was a thunderclap of warning against sin for Noah and his descendants, it turns out that we are no better after the flood than we were before. The human condition is just like it was with Adam and Eve. They will decide for themselves what is best. They think they can even rise up and claim the place of God. This is the story of mankind to this very day, apart from redeeming grace. And I would say that if this story is a 
recapitulation of the events that happened in Genesis 1 through 6, then what we have here in the Tower of Babel is a repeating of that Genesis 6 moment when God comes down to look upon humanity and says, the, uh, the hearts of man are turned to evil always, all the time. And I desire to bring judgment. Here these men are. Not only saying we will be our own gods, but many have said that the tower itself could have very much been a ziggurat, a pagan form of worship that happened in those times and those ages. And the idea of building a tower that went all the way up to heaven would be that you would place for yourself in that tower, the very top of the tower, an idol of your God. So not only are they saying to God, we will do whatever it is that we want to do, they're saying to God, we will have our own gods. We have no need of you. We want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want to make your name great. We want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want to claim your name upon ourselves. For what does it mean to be called a Christian? Or what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that we are called... To live our lives in accordance with the God who's claimed us. The God who's placed his name upon us. And even the Holy Spirit within us. You cannot be a prideful Christian. That's an oxymoron. Because the very nature of Christ is to empty himself and to claim upon yourself the name of Christ is to be one that does not claim a name for themselves, does not desire to make a name for themselves, but desires to make his name known. And here in this moment of humanity, They've abandoned that for security, for the praise of others. How does God respond? Well, there is an anthropomorphism here that's very important. It's being used by the author of Genesis to express the humor of this moment. Here mankind is gathered together. They are united in purpose. They have the same language. They are committed to their goal. They are going to make a name for themselves by building the greatest city the world has ever seen in a tower that reaches all the way up to the heavens. And what does God do? Well, the Lord had to come down to see the city. 
and the tower that the men were building. And in all honesty, it makes me think of Psalm 2 again. Those words, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. You think you can make a name for yourself? You think you can build a tower that reaches all the way up to the heavens? Well, and even for me to be able to see what's going on down there, of course we know that God is omniscient, and omnipresent. The Lord has to stoop down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. God, in this moment, expresses his perspective on mankind's united purpose, on their pride and their arrogance. He came down to put us in their place, to put man in his place. And Piper comments on this. He says, this is holy scorn. The author mocks the tower by saying that God had to come down to see it. This tower is so far from being in heaven, God can't see it from heaven. Of course, God can see everything, everywhere. But when you want to show the ludicrous nature of man's God-belittling pride and his little achievements, you take some risks and you speak with irony and you describe God as peering down in search of this great tower with its top in the heavens. This is God saying, you must remember your place. I am God, you are image of God. And your place is image of God. It's not that you would become little gods and seek to bring about your own destiny and your own purpose and your own direction. But as image of God, you would seek to have relationship and communion with me. And oh, how you have forgotten this. This is amongst a people who still have a living memory of the flood. That every single human being and living creature was wiped off the face of the earth because of pride and arrogance and sinful hearts and corruption. And here they are gathering together to build a city and a tower and make a name for themselves. The wickedness of mankind, apart from the grace of God, it knows no end. So what does God say? The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Here once again you see a hint at that plurality in the Godhead. But God's response to this expression of arrogance and pride is that he's going to come down, he's going to confuse their language, he's going to divide mankind so that they may be limited in their ability to accomplish certain things. 
Piper writes, So his response to the presumption and arrogance of man was to make it harder for man to communicate and thus to unite in God-belittling global plans. God has built into the world a system by which the pride of different groups of people restrains the pride of other groups of people. God knows the immense potential of human beings created in his own image. And he has given them amazing liberty to exalt themselves and design their own security systems without trusting him. But there are limits. Thousands of languages around the world and thousands of different peoples limit the global aspirations of arrogant mankind. You see, when you hear people talking about the concern of globalism, the idea that our world is somehow becoming smaller because we are not isolated into our little groups and categories, that big, strong, powerful nations can now collaborate in certain ways and aspects. When you hear that, it's, become, it's, it's coming from people who understand the depravity of mankind and the idea that if prideful nations could come together in conglomerations to work together in a unified direction with a unified purpose, the result of that would be a God-belittling global plan. desire to grab power so that one could say, come, let us build a city in defiance of God's commandment to us. Let us build a tower with its top in the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, so that we may directly disobey God. So some people, you know, look at this moment when humanity is divided so that they may be limited in their ability to accomplish things that are contrary to God into the face of God, in defiance of God, as a bad thing. But we should see it as a blessing. God then, we're told, scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel. Sounds like the Hebrew word for confuse, but it's also the reason why we say, oh, look at that baby, they're babbling. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now I'm telling you, this is one of those moments in history where I would have liked to have been there to witness this moment. At one time, you're all working on that tower and it's a lunch break and you're hanging out together and you're opening up your packed lunches that your wife sent with you to work and you're all talking together in this unified language which my professor, Reverend Van Hart, probably would say is Hebrew. And 
you are wondering, well, what are you guys going to do after you get off work today? And then, bam, in one moment, you turn and look at someone, and they're going, blah, 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 blah. They sound like the teacher in Peanuts, you know? And, and you're like, what is going on? And you have to run around till you find people that are speaking in the same way you're speaking. You're like, how come we can understand each other, but I can't understand my best friend that I've been working with for 10 years? What is going on? How are we going to do this? And then finally, you're all breaking up into these groups where you can understand each other. And you're like, well, I guess we can't hang out here. Those people don't make any sense. Let's move on. That would have been a very lively day at the city of Babel. What do you think? I wonder if some people found their group and they're like, oh, not that guy. He's in this group with this, the way we can talk. Oh, my. I wanted to be in that group. The Lord scattered them. He confounded the efforts of united humanity. He confused their languages and they split up. There's a unity of purpose and focus and language among humanity, and God ends it. But why? What is so wrong with this? That God decides it's a threat? Is God cruel or malicious or capricious? Is God threatened by unified people that they seem so independent and don't need him? Why would God take these people who were united in language and culture and destroy that unity? Because God sees the possibility of something so much better. You see, the story of Christianity is not John Lennon's vision of humanity. Unity isn't enough, not if it merely means sameness. Togetherness isn't enough, not if it's all about our own ambition. Single-minded and productive isn't enough, not if it means shutting God out. The absence of conflict isn't enough, not if there's nothing like what we know and call and understand to be love. You see what Babel is trying to tell us, the This is still God's world, not ours alone to do with as we please. And this world that we live in was created by God to glorify him through Jesus Christ, his son. And so a question we have to ask ourselves is, how does the Tower of Babel glorify Jesus Christ? How does this moment in history where all people spoke the same language and God said no more, and they had to split up into different people groups with different languages, glorify Jesus Christ. John Piper speaks of God's design for Christ's glory in the Tower of Babel, and the first is the Christians are guarded. God's division of the world into different languages hinders the rise of a global, monolithic, anti-Christian state that would have the power to simply wipe out all Christians. We often think that the diversity of languages and cultures and peoples and political states is a hindrance to world evangelization, the spread of Christ's glory. But that's not the way God sees it. God is more concerned about the dangers of human uniformity 
than he is about human diversity. We humans are far too evil to be allowed to unite in one language or one government. The gospel of the glory of Christ spreads better and flourishes more because of 6,500 languages, not in spite of it. The second is that pride is destroyed. Suppose someone asks, but isn't there going to be in the last days a great global government where Christians are in fact persecuted everywhere? This is one perspective. In the last day, God, though, will loosen the restraints that now hold back this evil. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, as Paul calls him, the beast, as John calls him, will rise with great global attraction, and there'll be horrific persecutions of Christians. We like to call this Satan's little season. But here's the link with the rebels of Shinar. The tower they built was called the Tower of Babel. The word Babel in Hebrew occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. It's translated Babylon in all but a few. When the writer says in Genesis 11 verse 9, Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. It's a put down of the great city of Babylon. It means that Babylon with its vaunted towers and walls and gardens and idolatry that we talked about last week with Nebuchadnezzar. It's a pitiful effort compared to God. And this name Babel or Babylon is the name given to the city of the beast in the book of Revelation. And in this, the glory of Christ shines because even though for a brief season, Babylon is drunk with the blood of Christian martyrs, she will, just like the Tower of Babel, be put to naught. Here's a description that marks her out as a latter-day Tower of Babel. Her sins are heaped high as heaven. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so, gave her, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. So yes, in the last day, God will loosen the restraint he's put on the nations. They will swell with the pride of Babylon, Christians will suffer, and then in one instant Christ will come for his infinite heights and slay the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth, and Babylon will be no more. The pride of man will be eliminated from the earth. The story of Genesis chapter 11, first nine verses, is a foreshadowing of that. The victory there and at the end is the victory of Christ. Christ will end the pride of man. Definitely, ultimately. The third is that every group is claimed. A third way that the sin of Babel and God's judgment on it leads to the global glory of Christ is this. The authority and power of Jesus is magnified because he lays claim on every language group and every people. The beginning and the ending of the book of Romans says, for the obedience of the nations. Matthew chapter 28, Christ says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Yes, in response to pride and sin, God divided the languages and the nations of mankind. But in the end, it magnifies the authority and power of Christ to make disciples in every language. His power is all the more glorious because it breaks into so many different languages and peoples and brings salvation. And a little tiny snapshot of this is Acts chapter 2. 
when the reversal of Babel happens. And all the people who have gathered in Jerusalem hear the gospel proclaimed in their own languages. And the fourth is that the gospel is glorified. The same must be said about his gospel in particular, the message of his death and resurrection, the message of forgiveness and justification. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. A great part of the glory of the gospel is that it is not provincial. It's not a tribal religion. It breaks into every language and every people. If there were no diversity of languages, if the spectacular sin of Babel had not happened with its judgment, the global glory of the gospel of Christ would not shine as beautifully as it does in the prism of thousands of languages. Oh, four thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. And then finally, Jesus is praised. The praise that Jesus receives happens from all the languages, and it's more beautiful because of its diversity than it would have been if there were only one language and one people to sing. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from every tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Piper says, It was the spectacular sin on the plains of Shinar that gave rise to the multiplying of languages that ends in the most glorious praise to Christ from every language on earth. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is a reminder to us as mankind to never think that anything we have built is unsinkable. A reminder to us that God will not always be patient with the pride of man. That there is a final judgment coming. A reminder to us that what happened here in this moment is not a capricious God who's afraid of the power and strength of mankind gathered together in one, but is for the glory of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, the world is divided. And people break into different language groups and tribes. So that Christ would be glorified in the gathering of his saints that are united but are not uniform. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that through the scattering of the people all over the earth, your Son is glorified. That even though, Lord, we as mankind can express our prideful hearts of rebellion, your will shall be accomplished. Your will was accomplished in part because of mankind's prideful rebellion. 
here at the Tower of Babel so that your son may be glorified in the diversity of his body. Your will was accomplished in part because of mankind's prideful rebellion and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You, you have shown yourself to be sovereign and good Father. And may we, Lord, allow your will to be accomplished in our lives, in our hearts, despite the pride we still struggle with. That we may, in our own unique way, our own dispersion in the valley of Shinar, lift up our voices and praise you and your Son, Jesus Christ, who's on the Lamb, who's the Lamb that was slain. May we, Lord, Sing praises to your name. In Christ, amen.